Mary's how can this be becomes, is transformed to let it be. As Gabriel speaks to her of impossible possibilities. For all the drama of this scene, however, with the angel and the, what we commonly call the Annunciation of Mary, it strikes me that it all comes down to something we all know well. It comes down to trust. I'm taken with the first question asked of those of us who are ordained as elders. We do not ask, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Or do you submit to Jesus Christ? Or do you agree with or promise to obey or assent to certain doctrines about Jesus Christ? No, we ask first this one simple question, the question that grounds all the other ones. Do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior? Do you trust? Trust lies at the root of it all. Both the words trust and faith come from the same Latin root, fide. To have faith in, it seems, means simply to trust. Much of the reason it seems to me that we honor our sister Mary, even though we do not go so far in that honoring as our Catholic siblings, is her trust. Gabriel comes to her not as a cute little angel fit for decorating the bathroom wall, but rather as the messenger of God bringing a disruptive word. And Mary is afraid. As you heard me share with the children, uh, angels do not come across as cute and cuddly in the Bible. They're fearsome. They inspire fear. And we know this because they almost always say what Gabriel says here to Mary. Do not be afraid. I suspect part of the fear that angels inspire is the knowledge that when an angel walks in the room, Things are about to change. The angel is the embodiment of God's word. And God's word brings newness and life to be sure. But also a radical inbreaking, Which often requires trust. That all that is possible and settled and routine and expected can give way to the impossible, the unsettling, the new, the unexpected. I read last week in the Washington Post an opinion column written by George Schultz, who was the Secretary of State. For those of us of a certain age, we'll remember him as the Secretary of State under President Reagan in the 1980s, and before that worked as the Secretary of Labor and the Secretary of the Treasury. Schultz is now... 100 years old and still going strong. And he wrote the column in part to reflect on his long life and to sum up what he thought was the key to a good and productive life, whether personally or politically. He writes, I learned early and then relearned over and over 
Trust is the coin of the realm. When trust was in the room, whatever that room was, the family room, the school room, the locker room, the office room, the government room, or the military room, good things happened. When trust was not in the room, good things did not happen. Everything else is details. I would add one more room to Schultz's list. The church room. The mark of a vibrant and healthy congregation like this one, I believe, is trust. Pastors and staff that trust the people, people in the community who trust one another, people who trust their leadership, a staff team that trusts each other. This is the key to life abundant in a community of faith precisely because we are a community of faith, which is to say a community grounded in trust. Our life flows, as it were, from that same fount that compelled Mary to say, let it be with me according to your word. Now, it's easy for any one of us or whole communities to allow mistrust to enter the room, to lose faith, literally, in one another or in our leaders or even in God. Sometimes mistrust is justified, frankly, by the failures of others to be trustworthy. And sometimes, if we're honest, It emerges from a heart that has been so battered that trust becomes almost impossible. A hardening of the heart to protect it from being broken. Whatever the reason, however, when cynicism and mistrust become a way of being, a way of life for individuals or for communities, I fear that Schultz is absolutely right. Good things do not happen. We never move from how can this be to let it be. The good news that greets us this day in the words of Mary is that God will not give up on our failures of trust. The womb of Mary holds the very life of God taking flesh Sinews and bones and blood and a beating heart because of God's love. We cannot really separate these two things. The love of God for us and our love in response, which ushers in trust. Without love, trust is impossible. It strikes me that it is Mary's love at last. That's the reason we honor her so. It's Mary's love that brings trust into the room. It's not a sentimental love and trust, to be sure. For you know that this Mary will sing very shortly of a God whose love will scatter the proud in the imaginations of their hearts and bring down the powerful from their thrones. Rather, it's a love and a trust that makes all things new, that makes all things new possible. 
When I became part of the Presbytery of Middle Tennessee, the governing body in our region of the PCUSA, and was being examined for membership on the floor of that body, I had been warned that there was a retired minister named Gudger Nichols who always asked the same question of any candidate. Do you love Jesus? He would ask. And I remember standing on the floor having just been asked about the doctrine of predestination, silently praying that Gudger's question would be next because it was easy to answer. And his question did come next. But something about its context in that moment, standing in front of a community of faith, just becoming pastor of this, at that time, new church for me, you learning how to trust me, me learning how to trust you, the weight of the question landed on me as if it wasn't Gudger's question at all, but Gabriel, the disruptive messenger of God, Do you love Jesus? And I found that it wasn't easy at all to say yes in that moment. And perhaps it never should be so easy to just slide off the tongue, to put on a bumper sticker or billboard. For in that question is the life that is life. And everything else is just details. Many of you will remember in Sue Monk Kidd's book, The Secret Life of Bees, the protagonist, Lily, becomes part of a little group called the Daughters of Mary. It's 1964, and this group has gathered liturgically around a statue that is said to have been passed down from the time of slavery. They call the statue Our Lady of Chains, not because she wore chains, but because she broke them. In one scene, the leader of the group takes her hand and places it on Lily's, and she writes, and she moved her free hand on top of it, so we had this black and white stack of hands resting upon my chest. When you're unsure of yourself, she said, when you start pulling back into doubt and small living, She's the one inside you saying, get up from there and live like the glorious girl you are. She's the power inside you, you understand? Her hands stayed where they were, but released that pressure. Whatever it is that keeps widening your heart, that's Mary too. Not only the power inside you, but the love. And when you get right down to it, Lily... That's the only purpose grand enough for a human life, not just to love, but to persist in love, to persist. The gift of this fourth Sunday of Advent, when we light the candle we call love, is the opportunity to hear again the good news that it was God's love that grew in Mary's womb. Not for the sake of itself, but for the sake of you and me. For the sake of this world that God loves. For which Christ died. The great gift is for us to be able once again to be invited to embrace this word. 
and to trust it enough to allow it to order our days that we might persist in love and be agents of God's newness. Love and trust might seem far away in these days. An impossible dream. But let us not be afraid to trust. Because we know, do we not? Nothing shall be impossible for God. Amen.